Historians estimate that since the 16th century, over 800 peace treaties have been signed with the intent that the resulting peace would last forever, or at least a long time. Yet most of them endured little more than two years. And instead, conflict and chaos are everywhere now. And wherever calamity doesn't rain, it seems to be nearby, around every corner. I think today we're probably more divided than we've ever been, certainly in the United States. It's unnecessary, it is intentional division, and it is something that uh, we all have a role in trying to see if we can bring back some sanity where we all can get along and not have to agree with each other. It's unnecessary divisiveness, it's politically induced, and that's my political statement. I'm not running for president. <laughs> Who would do that? <laughs> One of the strongest human desires is peace. The word peace is mentioned 429 times in the Bible. It's an important word. It's a great word indicating the great need we have for peace. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Now that's those who produce peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And unfortunately, Christianity has taken the narrative of the culture, and now Christians, uh, Christian leaders, pastors, are saying things about each other on social media that if I weren't a Christian, I sure wouldn't want to be one. And if that's how pastors treat their, their friends, or not, well, they're not friends, obviously, who would want to be a part of that? As you know, that just makes me crazy. It's, um, it's a soapbox. I'm getting ready to get on it, but I can't. If I get on it now, I'll stay there all morning. Uh, and I guess maybe I'm lacking some peace because I get so angry uh, at what uh, pastors and church leaders saying publicly to each other just because they see a particular doctrinal point a little differently. I get a kick out of seeing religious leaders argue over the second coming of Christ. It's like, really? Jesus said no one knows when that's going to happen. So why are we arguing about it? You can't predict it. You can't figure it out. Good grief. It's been predicted that he was going to, I think it was 1980. I remember someone saying, he's coming back in 1980. I'm in college. I'm thinking, I, I, want, I want to finish college. I want to have a job. I want to get married. He can't come back now. <laughs> what is peace? Peace now defined by the dictionary. I've been doing that. Did that with joy last week. And this is not a, a knock on the dictionary. These, these definitions from, the, from Webster's Dictionary, or whatever dictionary I use, uh, these are perfectly in line with reality. They are good definitions for the culture. The dictionary says that peace is a state of tranquility or quiet. It's a state of security or order, free from oppressive thoughts, harmony in personal relations, a state of mutual accord between governments. Good definition, it's, it's true. 
But for those who would claim to follow Christ, there's a little bit of a different definition. In fact, it doesn't negate the one I just read, but it adds to it. It adds a dimension of what peace looks like for those who follow the great peacemaker, Jesus Christ, how this should add to peace and harmony in the world. Here's the biblical definition of the word peace. And it means a, t a state of wholeness, well-being, a security in embracing both the physical and spiritual dimensions and relating not only to the individual, but also to entire communities and relationships among all people. So you have to put those together. I'm not saying we should not uh, include the one out of the dictionary. It's a true statement. But as a believer, as a follower of Christ, I'm called to not just stop there. I'm called, and you're called, to take it up a notch. That yes, we want a state of tranquility and quiet. We want security in order free in, in an order that frees us from oppressive thoughts. We want harmony in personal relations. We want a state of mutual concord between governments. We want that too. We just think there's more to this because the peace defined in the dictionary accurate and true. The problem is it doesn't bring with it all that it takes to truly be at peace, live in peace, be a peacemaker and a peace giver. That is the role to me of a person who claims to follow Jesus Christ. And that's why I really get just fuzzed up about Christian people taking on each other in front of the world. I just, I know, you, I, I, I need to calm down. Because it's going to slide into anger if I'm not careful, you know. Then, then I'm going to be acting like one of those. I'm going to be pounding the podium. And I, I just don't do that. Uh, can't, can't do that. It disrupts my own peace. Um, so what is peace? The biblical peace of God is not simply the absence of turmoil or conflict. Did, did you hear that? It's... Peace, biblically, is not just the absence of turmoil or conflict. We're human beings. We all have egos. We all have opinions. We all have thoughts about all kinds of things. And the trouble comes in when I think your thoughts ought to match mine. And if your thoughts don't match mine, then we're not going to be friends. How could you see it any other way but the way I see it? It's kind of the narrative these days, even from people who claim to follow Christ. I don't know who they're following, but they haven't read the full de description of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Now that was awful judgmental, uh, forgive me. Uh, peace is the selfless, self-giving, self-losing, self-forgetting, self-sacrificing love of God that allows you to stop being concerned about what others think about you. It's the quiet, gracious attitude of serenity and goodwill that comes to meet the onslaught of others with possibly good intentions. But it's our ability to meet others with the cheer and the graciousness and the kindness, in other words, the peace that Jesus calls us to. That's what peace is, in other words, by some definitions. So secondly, well, where do we find it? Where do I find peace? Where do I find a peaceful place? Or, or where is it that I feel most at peace? 
Uh, you all have heard this before. In fact, most everything I say anymore, you've all heard it at some point over the last 40 years. Uh, I'm just not tired of saying it yet. So you can find peace on your own that will always be temporary at best. We can, I can find peace, peaceful places, peaceful people around me. You, you can find that peace on your own, but even the peace I look for, I search for, the peace I find or the peace I'm, I'm trying to provide, there's a temporary nature to those things. It's kind of like this. Uh, if yes, if we're to ask Kim and I, where do, where do I feel most at peace? When I'm wanting to just really focus and be at peace and think about the goodness of God, where is that for me? It's a beach, not on a lake, on the ocean. I'm finicky thing, you know, I'm picky. I grew up in Ohio and when we went on vacation, we went to Myrtle Beach because my grandparents lived about an hour from Myrtle Beach. I grew up going to the beach. I'd never been to the mountains. I'd been in Colorado, I think once in high school, and I think we drove through Denver at night. <laughs> and I would drive through there and people talk, you'd see people with, you know, their cars low down, campers on stuff, heading to the mountains. What are they gonna do up there? I had no concept. Then I married a girl, <laughs> Kim Townsend, who grew up in Oklahoma City, in this church. They always went to the mountains. So now we vacation in the mountains. <laughs> Actually, we get to the beach uh, every few years or so, but there's just something about sand, and a beach chair, umbrella over me. You know, I don't, I don't need all the sun. Uh, I want enough to look good, but not enough to look like I just jumped in a frying pan or something. <laughs> and for whatever reason, I can look at the ocean all day long. It intrigues me. What's out there? You can't see, you know, that's the beauty of the ocean. You can't see the other side. All you can see is water. It reminds me of what a world, and who, who in their right mind thinks this just happened? We all have a place or a way we, we are most at peace. And it's not just a beach or the mountains. It can be, I, I'm at peace when the family's all together. I'm, I'm at peace when the grandkids are around, even though it, there's, it doesn't sound very peaceful, but it's, it's just our happy moment. We love it. Peace is found, I believe, starting with a commitment to, to Christ, a commitment to Jesus Christ. Let me read to you Philippians chapter four, starting at verse six. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's already done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can possibly understand. His peace will guard our hearts and our minds as we live in Christ Jesus. It's real simple. It really is. The problem is it, it seems 
certainly to those who have not been following Jesus or have heard uh, so many people met the Jesus that was judgmental. And in another church, that well, I don't need that. I get enough of that from everybody else around me. No, no, the, the peace of Christ, see, it's, it's that peace and exceeds anything we can understand. His peace guards us, our hearts and minds, as we live in Christ Jesus. It goes on to say this, and now, brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. That's a wonderful definition of where we find peace. And then the third thing we've done the last, uh, last week, we're doing again here. What is it that can steal our peace? What takes it? Well, it's kind of a similar list that I gave you last week. All kinds of things can take away our joy, our peace. We can be at peace and then all of a sudden there's turmoil. And typically the turmoil comes in relationships in con and with other people. That's the most typical place you'll find a lack of peace. We, we can have our peace stolen from us if we're not careful by trying to control someone or them trying to control us. Our peace can be stolen by financial stress. As I frequently say, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. That's financial, and, and there's a lot of financial stress going on pretty much all over the world. Certainly in our, in our country, and frankly in our church. That is a very stressful, divisive moment, certainly for couples as they try to argue their way through, how are we going to change this? How are we going to turn this around? That's why I'm a big fan of uh, financial peace and there's some other great organizations helping churches lead their people on having financial peace, financial sanity. It's kind of simple. You just spend less than you take in. It, it just try that, try that for a few weeks and see how that works. It's really a good thing. I think our, our peace can be stolen from us by attitudes that maybe we have toward another one, another person, or that they might have toward us. An attitude that says, well, I'm better than, than that. I'm better than they are. Or I wish I was like, or I wish I had this. Or I can't stand, and you put, fill the name in. Habits can steal our peace. Habits that are out of control, we know we can, we're just sure we're gonna fix it, we'll get over it, we'll get through it, but it may just very well mean, typically it does mean, call a counselor, call a wonderful counselor that can walk with you through whatever has kept you in turmoil. It's okay. I admitted to the church 25, 30 years ago, I believe in counseling, I've had a lot of it. I probably will need more before it's over, I would imagine because I, I, I don't want to become a cranky old man, and it may take counselor to talk me out of that. <laughs> Get a good counselor. Don't just accept this, this stress and turmoil that happens in relationships and in marriages, and so many couples are giving up too soon. And no, I don't want to intend a guilt trip here on those of you who've gone through a divorce. It happens. Jesus said it would happen. And we all, as a church, we've got to just help navigate that for everybody involved. That's a very important 
to me, part of the ministry of any church, and certainly this one. Uncontrolled, I mean, the list goes on. You know, I mean, Hallmark's back on, you know, Hallmark Christmas is back on. And I mean, it's, I've rolled these eyes so much that by the time I get to Christmas day, I may not even, my eyeballs may be looking the other way. Because it's always some really handsome guy that's got a lot of money in a big city somewhere. His office is on the 50th floor and he's trying to get to this girl that he's dating, but it's snowing and there's a blizzard and he might not make it. And she's upset. And Tinseltown where they live looks perfect. Everything's perfect. The trees are perfect. The houses are perfect. The women are perfect. The men are perfect. Peace exists. It is just perfect, perfect, perfect. But we've gotta get good looking guy with a great job who has interest in the woman from little town of Christmas time. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm ruining it for all of you. I, I'm just being honest here. We'll be sitting in the family room and we might thumb through one of those. And I look over at Kim and she's, you know, she's doing this. And I'm sitting there going, and so I leave the room and let her have her peace. <laughs> Please remember, the peace that Jesus offers is fullness, wholeness. Not occasionally, not just when we need it, not when we ask for it. It's 24-7. He put his peace in us and we said, I will follow Jesus I will live like he lived. It's very practical, frankly. If you read the New Testament, the first four chapters, four books at least, give you a clue. It's a call to a higher way of life where we genuinely love others and we may not be loved back, where we refuse to judge others or will be judged, the Bible says. Let me just give you a quick rundown of just some of the things the Bible says about peace. And I'll read them quick. There's a long list of these verses, but it, it will say enough that it's worth doing. Romans 5.1, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith in Christ, we have peace. We have peace because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. What's he done? He, well, he loves us, he forgives us, he empowers us, he strengthens us. He gave us his spirit when he had to physically leave the earth. Colossians 1.20, and through him, Jesus, through Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on a cross. Colossians 3.15, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, we are called to live in peace. Acts 10.36, there is peace with God through Christ. Ephesians 2.14, Christ himself has brought us peace. Ephesians 4.1, as a prisoner, this is Paul, as a prisoner serving the Lord, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God to be humble and gentle and patient at peace with others. This is an important topic in the Bible. Isaiah 9.6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and interestingly enough, the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. John 16, Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace because in this world you have trouble of many kinds. 
but do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. Matthew 5, 9, blessed, blessed, blessed are the peacemakers for they'll be called children of God. Philippians 3, 13, 14, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. James 3, 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all, pure, peace, loving. Romans 12, 18, do your, do your part to live in peace with everyone as much as possible. Luke 1, 79, he came to guide us to the path of peace. Luke 2, 14, the angel said to the wise men, he's bringing peace on earth, goodwill to all. Luke 14, 42, at the triumphal entry, Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and by the, week, at the end of that week, he will have been crucified. He's riding into Jerusalem, and he starts weeping, and he weeps, and he says, I wish today you would find the way of peace. That's what was lacking. And the only way to bring us any lasting peace was that he would take on all the trials and troubles and sins of the world on a cross. I know it sounds hard to believe, but let me tell you, it wouldn't still be, we couldn't still be telling it if it, I mean, by now, if it didn't happen, it was proven false, it would have been, it would have been proven. And again, I, I got to see where that actually happened and, and it's hard not to, not to believe it's real when you stand there and see where it happened. Matthew 5, 9 says, you're blessed when you can show people, this is how the message, the message paraphrase, you're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. And just a side note, too many people claiming to follow Christ and be living in the power of the Holy Spirit within us, the Spirit of Christ within us, instead of us showing people how to cooperate, we jump into the fight. Because somehow we think there must be something spiritual about winning, and we're gonna win somebody over by arguing with them. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. Then you'll discover who you really are. That's insightful. So how do we, where do we go from here? Well, we need to have peace with God. It starts there. We, we can't just automatically give away peace, at least the kind that is really lasting because it's the only peace that comes from Christ. Peace with God means you understand the depth of his love for you. It means you understand the extreme he has gone to in order to, to forgive us. You need to understand that he's empowered you to find a way to peace with others without requiring full understanding or agreement. Peace with God and then peace within ourselves. The primary result of peace, being at peace with God, is you have peace with yourself. You know, you've heard the phrase, I've said it many times. You, you, can, you can find yourself in a moment where there isn't much peace because hurting people tend to hurt people. I remember when I first heard that phrase many, many years ago. It explained so many things to me. That phrase alone helped me understand 
that when somebody's just not happy with me or somebody's just railing away at something that the church didn't do right or I didn't do right, and it was easy to bow up and get a little frustrated or maybe offended or maybe angered. And then when I realized hurting people hurt people. At any time in our own lives, when we've been hurting ourselves, we have a tendency, we'll hurt those around us. We don't mean to, but for a moment, we're totally focused on ourselves. Anything that gets in the way of that can create words that should never be said. We're at peace as a person. We know our strengths and our weaknesses. We know, we know how we're emotionally wired. You know if you have a if you have a need to be right, or hopefully you know that there's some grasp to your insecurities. You, you can't have peace within yourself if you constantly feel marginalized, underappreciated, undervalued, or live with a competitive spirit. People who at peace with God are at peace with themselves, loving, encouraging others they love, helping others win, because Jesus showed us that that is the way a follower of Jesus acts. Those of us who claim to follow him, Jesus says, here's how you act. One of the favorite things I often hear people say, sometimes they've driven by the church for a long, long time and just assume we're one of those churches. And I, I think I know what they mean, but it's not a compliment. We're one of those, big church, you know, big church, pastor has big hair, you know, and the Rolex and you know the Mercedes. I'll take the Mercedes, but I don't need the Rolex. I don't have one. But when they say to me, those Christians seem to really love me even though they're very different than me. Because they expect Christians, when you find out how different you are, to just judge them. Well, you're wrong or to avoid them. Interesting, that's not how Jesus did it. You know, Jesus was always in trouble because he was hanging out with the wrong people. He was constantly criticized. And yet he was showing us what it looks like. If we follow Jesus, we'll be drawn to those who are hurting will be drawn to those who are confused. When Jesus approached the well, the woman had come to get water at noon. You've heard, most of you have heard the Bible story. And she came at noon because she's too embarrassed to go early in the morning when everybody else went because she was the notorious sinful woman. She'd been married five times and was living with her fifth husband, or fifth, uh, sixth husband. And you would think the religious folks would say, ooh, she's trouble. You, you better just hold off, let her get her water, and, and then we'll go get ours. No, Jesus just barged right into it and set her free. And you know, one, I mean, I love, I love the last verse in that story where it says many in that town came to believe in Jesus because of this woman's testimony. We wouldn't let her teach Sunday school. We would, but a lot of places wouldn't welcome her back in with her track record. And Jesus got a hold of her life and she saw the difference. Whatever he had, she wanted it. 
Lamentations 3.40 says, let us test and examine our ways and then return to the Lord. We will not be a peaceful person. We will not be at peace with God till we have allowed God to change our heart and our thinking in a way that we can be at peace with ourselves. When you have the peace of God in your heart, when you are following Christ, when you sense his stirring of your heart at times to do things that you would not ordinarily think to do, when you know that's going on, I promise you, you'll have a confidence you haven't had before. We wanna be peacemakers. We wanna know where it's found. We want peace with God. We want peace within ourselves. We want peace with others. Hebrews, the Hebrew word for peace means everything which makes for a man's highest good. And sometimes peace with others may mean a boundary. That's okay. Sometimes we, we can love others enough to say, well, there's a boundary here and, and we're gonna have to be mindful of that. We're not all made to completely understand and embrace one another. We're all different. We're all different physically, emotionally, socially, spiritually, intellectually. There are just some relationships where people do not click. Again, hurting people hurt people. People, we tend to be insecure. We can be arrogant, although I think the arrogant folks are very insecure. And then those who think the only way is their way or refuse to frame it and see it differently. Sometimes we don't, good, we don't do well being around each other. And sometimes we just need to say, I'm not going to discuss this topic with you. Let's move on to what we both can share that's good for both of us. I'm not going to submit myself to verbal abuse. I'm willing to understand why you see the way that you see things, but, but allow me the same to tell you that. And then let's, let's move on. You've heard me use the phrase, I might come to your funeral. I might even shed a tear, but we ain't going on vacation together. I have friends with other pastors who see things very differently than I do. I have friendships with people who just still are believers, but they have very different ideas doctrinally than I do. I have friends who are far from God. I have friends who are on every social spectrum you can imagine. I know what they think, they know what I think, and where I stand on things, where they stand on things. I know kind of why they see it differently, and amazingly, we're still friends. One thing I love about these Wesleyan roots is John Wesley said this. Humility and patience are the surest proofs of the increase of love. We should be rigorous in judging ourselves and gracious in judging others. Let me repeat that. We should be rigorous in judging ourselves and gracious in judging others. Though we cannot think alike, may we not love alike? May we not be of one heart, though we are of, of not one opinion? May we be of one heart, though we are not of one opinion? Without all doubt, we may. Herein, all the children of God may unite, notwithstanding these smaller differences, and they're all smaller. But it was Jesus, God in flesh, who said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons and daughters of God. 
William Barclay says it this way, and then I'll close. A man may be called a son of peace instead of a peaceful man. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. What it means is, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be doing a godlike work. The one who makes peace is engaged in the very work of which God, the God of peace, is doing. As I do each week, I'm gonna call our prayer teams uh, to come on to the front of all of our rooms. And after I pray, those, uh, you may be leaving the auditorium and, and uh, for those who would like to come and have prayer with one of our prayer teams, you come toward the front of all the rooms and there'll be someone there to pray with you. It may have nothing to do with what I've said today, but it may be something you walked in with and it's feeling rather heavy. Let, let us pray for you, pray with you. And by all means, this might be a great day to say, and, and you, you think you can't pray if you're not sure if you believe. Oh yeah, you can. You say, God, help me willing to be willing. Help me somehow find and taste and see that you are good. Help me begin to understand how I can be a peaceful person and in your power be at peace with myself and others and more importantly, with God. We'd love to have that conversation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege we have of being together, for the freedom we have of worshiping. Father, we thank you so much that um, you love us far more than we can imagine. You want the best for us. And sometimes when we take a look at what that best looks like, it's rather simple. Pretty straightforward and pretty clear. It's just hard to make those changes. So I pray today, Father, in your strength, may we make whatever changes need to be made. May we have the courage to put you first in our life. May we have the courage to join with others who will pray for us and help us walk through whatever we have to walk through. May we have friends who will pray for us in times we're rejoicing and we're thankful and we're excited. Father, I thank you so much for the privilege we have of being together, of being this church, and the way you are working through us to bless this community and beyond with a message of hope. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.